Welcome to the Modern CPA Success Show, where we're 100% focused on helping accounting firms achieve success. If you're an accounting firm owner who wants to learn how to grow your firm by providing virtual CFO services, then this podcast is for you. Welcome to this episode of the Modern CPA Success Show. I'm Tom Waddleton. I'm a virtual CFO at Summit CPA Group. Um, joined as always by Adam Hale. Adam is a partner at Andrews CPA and Advisors and one of the founders of Summit CPA Group. Adam, welcome this morning. Thanks, Tom. So today's uh, show where we're going to have actually a conversation. Onboarding is really important to us. Um, who we have is one of our team members, uh, Joey Kenny. Joey is one of our CFOs, but he is really focused on onboarding and making sure that's successful. Um, as we have different meetings, Joey is very involved in, in engaged in college sports. Uh, <laughs> Big Wildcats from Kansas State fan. Um, Adam, I'm not sure if you remember from his resume, Joey was a double major in accounting and finance and a minor in economics with a 4.0 out of college. So we talk college, but he's a big academic dude that's in here. Nerd. (laughs) Exactly. But he does have a lot of sports analogies, which is kind of my thing too. So that's why we get along so well. So we do love that. I I didn't realize he was that big of a nerd, but I would have. So we'll probably have a little bit of sports trivia as as we get into this. But Joey, if we start off, then do you want to tell us a little bit more about, I said, full-time onboarding in the CFO role? You want to tell us a little bit more about what that really means? Sure. Thanks, Tom. And thank you both for the opportunity to hop in here and speak with you today. I'm looking forward to talking about onboarding and my role and and how I see it, how I see the future and really the importance of it with with CPA firms. So appreciate the, uh, the introduction. I'm going to try to to not have too many sports analogies because that that does sort of limit the limit the audience a little bit. But uh, <laughs> it's always a beautiful day to be a Kansas State Wildcat. <laughs> always a beautiful day. So did you get rankings, my eye roll I'm on trying there? to remember. We've got Indiana University represented and Purdue University. I'm trying to remember rankings where Kansas State falls. I think they're a little lower than those two. Is that right? I think Basketball we're in, we're in between in between Purdue between, and Indiana okay. right now. We're we're you know this okay. it's it's an unexpected good year for us. We weren't expecting much. Um, we had a new coach and a basically brand new team from last season. They've gelled really well and the energy is back, which is what you really want to see <laughs> in Manhattan. Okay. So on to onboarding. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, so I think it's it's an interesting the I think Adam would be the first to say when when I was hired at Summit, where where I started versus where I am is is a very different they're two different things. So I, I joined and, and Tom, I've told you this before, but I want to mention to everybody, you are the reason. One of the reasons that I am at Summit CPA. We had a conversation in twenty twenty one when I had I had first interviewed with Jamie Jamie Na and I talked to Adam and I remember saying Adam absolutely scared me to the point where I was like I'm not entirely <laughs> sure I can do this I don't know that I've got the skills I don't know any of this I was terrified and then I talked with you Tom and and you really were like no, no you can handle this Adam just scares people he does that to everybody oh, and funny. it wasn't the right time in 2021 but I remembered that conversation and it stuck with me for about a year until uh, until I was was able to finally say okay. you know what the time is right I've got to I've got to get in and talk with these guys so appreciate really you cool. I'm for, glad that, it made for that, that conversation impact. I can tell you one so, way I can hear that though. You met Jamie and Adam like, man, those guys are impressive. I couldn't do this. And then you met me like, oh, I could do this. <laughs> like, that's kind of what I was thinking, Tom, yeah, but I wasn't going to call that out. That's how I I'm glad that, you could so. read between the lines. <laughs> I can. 
Um, okay, so now that you've started. <laughs> yeah, now, now that we've started, we kind of identified, and I think it's, it's part of the growth plan. I would imagine, Adam, as you're trying to think about how the company's going to scale and you know, it's, it's hard because we want to think about all of our clients as roughly the same, right? We have a deliverable, we have a package, we have a forecast and all of the different things that we're mm -hmm. promising as part of our value proposition to provide the clients. But without the foundation of a good onboarding, it's going to be very difficult to have each client make sure that they're hitting all those deliverables because, you know, CPAs are different. Yeah. Every client is going to be a little bit different. So we found out within about three months of me being here that I, for whatever reason, and I'm, I'm not entirely sure what y'all saw that was made you think that this would be where I would, would end up, but saying, hey, we wanted to dedicate you pretty much full-time to just onboarding support and helping CFOs and helping the accounting process and just making sure that the, the foundation is set for the good future of that relationship. And I've been pleased with where we've, where we've gotten to. I think we've got a lot more work to do, just like anything. No process is perfect, so there's always going to be change. And the, the key to it is identifying where the problems are, what's working, what's not working, and, and try to solve for the, the end result of where you want things to go. But I'm, I'm very pleased to be working with, with teams. I like talking to all of the different CFOs. I get to work with all of you, so it's a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah, I would say the the evolution and to be on the record, I was opposed to having Joey be the onboarding CFO. So we'll get into that. But um, I, I was not I was not advocating for that. Um, I was wrong, by the way, but um, but I wasn't advocating. But the evolution really is, is that, like you said, it's first impressions. Mm -hmm. It's not cheap. Our service isn't cheap. We charge double for onboarding. So there is a, a fee associated with it to kind of cover some of that cost for additional resources. Um, but even before we did that, it doesn't matter. Our fee is not inexpensive. And whenever clients come to us, they typically come to us because they have a need. Again, we're not selling them on what we do. They're usually coming to us because they have a problem and they want us to solve the problem. Unfortunately, it takes an onboarding period to be able to get to the point where we can fully diagnose the issue before we can prescribe a solution. And so that as a customer, I appreciate as well that that's a hard thing to do. You know, it's like, hey, I brought you in to solve this thing. Why the heck is it taking three months to get there? I'm paying an awful lot of money and I don't feel like I'm there yet. So really the the intent around an onboarding is to really dedicate a ton of resource, a ton of effort right out of the, the gate. So if you're, and, and I actually just talked to a CFO the other day and they're like, well, what really needs to happen, Adam, is for the first like two months of an engagement, just let somebody work 40 hours a week on it. And I'm like, that's not very practical. Um, yeah. And it's, frankly, impossible. So that would mean that I have somebody on the bench all the time that has no other work to do, that's just going to handle that one client. And then once they get through with it, what happens whenever they jump on client two, you know, and client three and client yeah. four. So that's, it's just not practical. That's just not how you're going to be able to scale the practice. So you really need a dedicated resource that can jump on board and help um, guide discussions. Also, uh, the consistency factor that having a separate onboarding team that's going to bring to the equation is huge. And so we limped into it um, whenever we did that. At first, we just said, we're going to double your fee and we're just going to work more, right? Like the right. permanent yeah. team, we're just going to work more. 
didn't happen. <laughs> you know, yeah. it still took a long time. There was problems. So then we said, okay, who's the next person that needs to come in there? They need help, accounting help. So then we bring in this like supervisor role, which is basically another senior accountant, a little bit more advanced. They're going to help just move the the blocking and tackling stuff that really is is tough. And we're going to build a structure around that. It worked out okay, um, but nobody was really good about managing the entire relationship and the project mm-hmm. and reporting back to the client on the status, making sure that everybody's aware of like, here's what's holding us up and here's where we're moving on. That's whenever we uh, brought in a project manager, we call them now client success manager because they have a deeper role once they get going. And that's how we kind of afford them as well. And so we thought, okay, everything's going great, right? But it wasn't because the problem was, is yes, we were getting some of the accounting done and yes, the client was informed, but the CFO who's very busy doing other things was still having a problem getting their deliverables across the finish line in a consistent way. And so Jamie, our accounting director and I were having this discussion. We're like, damn it, another admin type of role. We're going to take somebody Mm -hmm. off the bench. You got to take your A player off the bench and you got to put them in this role because Jamie in this entire firm, there's only two people that can't handle this conversation. It's me and you. That's it. So you get, Mm -hmm. so that your other option, if it's not you or me is we got to go and grab like a really senior CFO that's been doing it a long time because anybody else isn't going to understand it. So Jamie comes back to me and he goes, yeah. So have you met Joey? And I was like, yeah, he seems, he seems good. Yeah. He's like, well, that's who I want to make the onboarding CFO. I was like, no way. Not Our newest CFO. Um, I was like, senior guy right <laughs> I go, he, he doesn't even know if he likes us, let alone knows our systems yet. And, and uh, you know, I was like, hell no. And, um, and he's like, no, no, just bear with me. I think that I can teach people how to do these systems and hold this. I go, Jamie, I don't need another project manager. If all you're going to do is tell Joey how to tell Tom what to do and when to do it, that's not what I need. I need a strategist in this role. Um, And he's like, no, 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 that's what I'm talking about. I think I can do that too. Just give me some time. And I said, you know what? Go for it. Knock yourself out. I said, hey, Joey, you're great. I wish you the best. (laughs) You know, like do this. Worst case scenario for me is Joey comes out with being a superstar CFO, right? Because he one-on-one with Jamie and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, fast forward, Joey, you've been doing it um, for for several months now. And by all accounts, been doing it at a super high level. We've seen a big increase. In fact, I would say we're almost abusing you the other direction. So we need to kind of reset Mm -hmm. some lines um, because you are so fantastic at it. And so I was not usually, but this one exception, I was proved wrong um, and and very pleased uh, to. So thank you, Joey. You're welcome. And I'm, I'm glad that we've, and thank you for the opportunity. I, I really do appreciate it. But I do want, I'm, I'm glad we've got this on the record because I think Jamie's going to want to take that little snippet and he's going to want to put it <laughs> on a nice little trophy and he's going to carry that around with him to all of our yeah in-person retreats and just sort of have it with him like it or, or, or the out. wrestling belt too the wrestling belt would be a lot of fun for him i think sure eh, you know the score is one to a hundred so it's okay <laughs> hey sometimes that one so Joey, that one's you- important are you interested in offering virtual cfo services at your firm or scaling your existing service offerings the virtual cfo playbook how to land sixty thousand dollars a year clients and provide a killer client experience is an online series of modules that will equip you with essential tools for creating and delivering scalable VCFO services. 
These approaches have helped Summit CPA grow from $500,000 to upwards of $5 million in revenue over the past decade. If you're ready to grow your firm, visit summitcpa.net slash VCFO playbook to enroll now. When someone's thinking of this role, how does the onboarding team work with you in there? Kind of, you've got a CFO who's going to stay and you're going to leave mm -hmm. and other mm -hmm. team members who come in. You want to talk a little bit about kind of when you come in, what you do, sure. that kind of stuff? Yeah, and, and I think it's it's important to note that not every CFO is going to be the same. Tom, you're going to operate different from sure. Adam. Adam is going to operate different yeah. from Jamie. All of our CFOs are a little bit different. So that's the first thing that I kind of want to think about is, in order, in my opinion, to be successful in this role, I've got to know how I can best support the CFO. I think that's the, mm -hmm. the very first thing to, to note there. And again, since you're all different, your needs are different, Tom. You need a different level of support because of where you are in your career. You don't need as much, you know, for lack of a better term, handholding than maybe a newer mm -hmm. CFO who's not used to systems and processes and knowing how all of the different pieces of the tech stack fit together or even when to do a certain thing, when to have a conversation with the right. client, when to push back. Um, so I'm going to consult a little bit differently in my role than I, with you than I would with, say, a newer CFO. But from if I could kind of break it down to the 80-20 rule, for most folks who, who aren't you, where we'll typically start is at least having the conversation with the, the new CFO about, okay, what are you identifying as the client's pain points? Because Adam hit on a big thing. If you've got a client who's coming to Adam now because they've got cash flow problems today, us saying, yeah, we'll solve that cash flow problem for you when we're done with onboarding in 12 weeks, like that, that doesn't do a lot of good. That doesn't sure. build a lot of rapport in the relationship. That doesn't build a lot of trust. So helping the CFOs understand, you know, what's a quick deliverable that you can knock out that you can, solve a problem really quickly and buy us some time to get the accounting cleanup done. That's usually a huge, a huge step. And then from there, it's just helping them develop the relationship, helping them think about how they're going to do their forecast, what the drivers are going to be, relationships between non-financial data and financial data, and, and really working with our tech team to, uh, to push them through. Because Adam, I'm sure you've noticed this too, with, with a new CFO, the hardest hurdle for them to overcome is getting out of the understanding of, I'm the CFO, I feel like I need to do everything. No, no, no. What you yeah. really need to do is leverage the resources that we've put in place as a firm to help you. We're paying for these resources to help you. So let's use them. Let's use them to the best of their abilities and just sort of guiding them yeah. that way. I, I, I would say my experience is maybe kind of the, I agree with you differently, mm -hmm. but I would say it's almost like the opposite. What I hear is um, technology is my hurdle. And so it's like, that's the problem. I'm mm -hmm. like, hmm. then you use a piece of paper and a pen and hold it up against your mm -hmm. screen. I don't really care. Mm -hmm. Like I need you to be, um, I need you to be the strategist, have a good conversation. Don't worry about all the other stuff. That's where like Joey, you could help out. What I think mm -hmm. um, where we found the natural gaps. So assume that you get to a point where you feel like you can have these roles and, and keep in mind that these roles exist, even if it's one person. So you're just asking one person to wear multiple hats. So take this for what you will. You don't have to build out this entire team. But in a perfect world, I think this does line up, is that you have, on ours, we have a two-person delivery team. So we have a VCFO and a senior accountant. And so what we're trying to do is then just mirror that because we charge double technically for the first eight weeks, right? So what we did before is we added on the senior accountant 
and it's a supervisor level. So it's, it's kind of a super senior, if you will, they can, mm -hmm. they've had a lot of experience doing those kind of things. Um, so we had that. The problem though, the challenge is, is that the number one job for the CFO before it comes to just giving strategy is architecting the information. Mm -hmm. So yep. even silly things like architecting the way I want the chart of accounts to look, architecting the conversations I want to have, the data that I'm going to review, when I'm going to review it, how I'm going to review it. Even whenever we put the super senior, somebody that can knock out any tech, any problem, you know, whenever it came to like the blocking and tackling, they were still like, directionless. Mm -hmm. And so, and then yeah. whenever you get a new CFO that doesn't know our tech, how to leverage that team, they would kind of start sketching stuff out and they didn't know how to really use those resources, like you yeah. were saying. Mm -hmm. um, but they also struggled at architecting it because they didn't know those resources. So, and not only does it, so that's what I'm saying. Like, I think from your standpoint, what you do and what you really help out is you help with the architecture mm -hmm. to let know, let them know what's possible and how to do it and how they can use those resources. But I think you also act as a, as a communicator, as a conduit between the CFO's ultimate strategy and that senior that we have that we've added to the team. Because without that, what happened was like, hey, Tom's a great guy, but he's not telling me to do anything and I don't know what to do for this onboarding. Mm -hmm. I think we go this direction, but I don't know if he knows what he's actually doing or not. Sorry, Tom seems right. smart, but, and then, but with you being in there, you can kind of act as that interpreter. And so by doubling up the team in each one of those roles, you know, now we have two people at there. Now we have kind of like equals talking to each other because a lot of times we do have new people, um, on, you know, both on the senior accountant side and the CFO side on the client delivery side. So having experienced people to match up with on both roles is important. And then of course, sitting on top of that is the project manager. Uh, before what we were doing is we're asking the project manager to be that interpreter between the CFO and the senior accountant. Like, hey, how come this work isn't getting done? How come this isn't set up? Like, you know, yeah, the, you've the, been able to solve for that gap. Yeah, the feedback is, yeah. well, I don't speak accounting was and and rightfully so because yeah. they're not accountants they're project managers so yeah and we don't want them to no exactly right? exactly that was the problem yeah well i think you hit on a good thing too there a good point that i didn't i probably didn't do a good job of, of advocating for for what i do in the role but where we're really seeing that communication that interpretation is when we've been expanding into new verticals you know if if, if we've got a mm -hmm. client that comes in that's like our bread and butter service-based organization hours and people like most of our team by now can probably set up the, the pieces for that in their sleep because we've done it so much. That's our bread and butter. As we've, since the merger and more verticals are coming in, we've got more, you know, trucking type stuff. We've got some manufacturers coming in. We're doing more medical. We're doing more, you know, things that don't follow the standard templates of how our stuff is set up. That interpretation piece does have to, have to occur. And if it doesn't occur, things just, you know, the system gums up and stops working and we're looking back and an onboarding's at 18 weeks and everyone's looking at each other like well what what happened what's what's going on here and it's because that interpretation piece wasn't happening the way it should and yeah. stuff was yeah. just getting and lost one thing adam said I, that I think was really important and i think that there the value is when i started so five years ago we didn't have the kind of role you had joey mm -hmm. and i was doing that architecture that adam talked about a lot of it i didn't know the tools and the common summit processes. So I implemented what I thought made sense. And a lot of times the clients were saying, well, why don't we do this? Why don't just in the cash flow meeting, you can take 15 minutes and cover those things. And I'm like, okay, I'll try that. 
an experience like Joey, I think you would have said, no, that wrong time. Let's do this. Mm -hmm. Once that's in place, it's kind of hard to then switch the client and say, Hey, I was doing it wrong the whole time. And I think what you put in place, which helps, and I've heard Adam say one of his fears is on a discovery call, he tells the prospect, here's what we do. The fear is we're not doing that. Mm -hmm. And I think if you have an onboarding that's unguided and someone not sure, that fear is coming true that like we're doing something, but we're not doing what we claim to do. So a great way to implement and start standard processes is having someone guided so it's set up correctly. And I think for the new employee, it's perfect. You're like, here's the tool. That's what this is. You're teaching mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. that part. That's where I think there's real value. Yeah. And Joey, I don't, I don't know if you'd give yourself enough credit here or not either. So for people that are just focusing on one industry, I would still argue that um, probably through us being overconfident in our ability, one is probably a little bit, so maybe a little ego. The other one is cost, mm -hmm. you know, from a cost perspective, why am I adding this cost? But I think we probably did everything backwards. If, if we really think about if you have only one hat to put on there from an administrative standpoint, and again, it'll pay for itself, double or triple your fee for the first eight weeks, it'll cover it, you know, knowing how many onboardings you do, even if you were just kind of considered a net wash from an extense expense standpoint, and we cover your fee that way. But I think that, um, I think that the onboarding CFO is probably the most critical role. And it's because you also can kind of sit back and listen to the same conversation that the client is having with the CFO. And the CFO might get super granular on something. And you're like, hey, at post-call, you can be like, here's where I see the big problems being. So you can also give a second set of perspective there and help kind of work with the CFO there too. Not to say that their idea isn't good, but I'm just saying like two heads are better than one. And then you know, getting the work done and then having somebody that's dedicated to be able to be able to, to assign and oversee how that works. The project manager doesn't really have the ability to do that. Cause like you said, by design, they're not an accountant. We don't want them to be, that's what makes them so special. Um, however, if, if your role's in place first, you know, like if you're trying to say, Hey, if I do this on a budget, yes, it's the most expensive role for sure, out of the three. But if you start with that role, I think you could stretch that probably pretty far before you needed the other two elements. And that's how you could kind of also cover the cost of having a Joey on your team is they could act, you know, they can stretch as the project manager, they can stretch with helping the senior accountant, the permanent person doing some of that work. That's how I would kind of limp into it, if you would, um, until you're, uh, until you're, load gets big enough in terms of onboarding new clients to, um, you know, afford a full blown team. That's probably how I would advise another firm. If they're thinking about it, it's worth the money, put them in that seat. Um, yeah. So, so if you could, so if you could go back, just again, I'm going to, I'm going to pick your brain here, Adam, because I think this is you know, one of the things you told me when I first started was I've made all of the mistakes that everybody's going to make. And let me tell you how not to make them. So say I'm a firm and I'm feeling like I'm at that point where I maybe need a more permanent resource, worried about a, how to cultivate that type of talent B, how to identify who the right person in that seat is. How would you go back if you could do things differently for summit? Like, what are, what are some of the things you would do? How would you identify who to put in that role? And how would you have worked out the numbers to where you're like, I know that we can, we can afford this, not just from like an onboarding, you know, doubling up of the onboarding fee, but also from like a culture perspective. Yeah. Uh, I mean, great question. And obviously I was wrong. So I'll 
once again, I told you I messed <laughs> everything up and you're, you're the result of that. So, um, which is great, but, um, I would say that, you know, for a little bit, I think what was really important for me to understand, but it maybe gave me a little bit of a, of a, a bad view, you know, not recognizing that I could bring somebody else in. Um, but that's just maybe Jamie having better foresight. I put myself in that role for a long time. Mm -hmm. So for the first couple of years, whenever we brought on our first CFO, our second mm -hmm. CFO, I was in that role. And then eventually I took an A player off the bench, Jamie, and I put him in that role. And then eventually he's like, okay, cool. I'm overseeing a broader team. So I did start with kind of taking an A player off the team. Like I took myself off the board and started doing more behind, you know, how can I, instead of being the number one CFO for 10 clients, how can I be the number two CFO for 50 clients? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how I stretched into it to begin with. Um, and you can do the same thing with an A player if you want. Just, I think what, um, I think what Jamie's um, proved is it doesn't necessarily have to be an the a player on your team today it just needs to be an a person uh, which is what mm -hmm. happened with you joey is we were able to kind of bring you in but i don't know that we would have even had that foresight and that vision had jamie and myself not already been in that role because then jamie wouldn't know how to like look for the right person for that role and it has to be somebody that can kind of stretch the rubber band i think one of the biggest one of the hardest things for me in scaling an advisory service is CFOs that we hire by trade are going to be CPAs, which means they know accounting. And so whenever they come in, they want to get super ground level granular. Now, what my client asked for is a business strategist that knows accounting. They didn't ask for the accounting. So trying to get accounting people to be able to like be advisors, give opinions, yeah. talk from a business standpoint. I just talked to a client for an hour. I looked at their financials, but I was digging into their operational stuff and ask them how they're going to operate operationalize all the numbers. Nobody's ever met a forecast. They don't like I can, that's math. I can plug in a few numbers who gives a crap. I'm challenging them on how do they operate? What are they changing operationally to make sure that that number happens? And I'm pushing and doing those kind of things. I'm consulting at a business level. That's hard. Whenever you hire an accountant, the other thing is, is like, or I hire the op opposite side and I hire somebody that's just lives in the clouds. They're super high level. And then the only problem is, is the clients that we work with, we don't work for Coca-Cola. Uh, we work for clients that are one to $25 million. The reality is, is I need you to get in the weeds. I need you to do some analysis. I figured all the, I knew the answers to those questions before I went to them. I don't know the exact operations, but I went in and I dug in. And so that leaves a bad taste in somebody's mouth. Whenever you have somebody that's like really high level, they're like, man, that's tough. So we end up with these two different people and we need to find the person that's that perfect unicorn is in the middle. So what we've done is we've created process and cadence of meetings and stuff like that to pull that, that accountant up. Yep. And now we're starting to create a more advisory senior to hopefully support this person that lives in the cloud a little bit so that they can kind of be supported in a little bit better way. So it's not really necessarily like finding the person. It's around understanding, does the person live more here or here? 
and then we're creating process to level set them. You know, we're giving them a person over here. We're giving this person process over here to hopefully level set those. And the person that you look for to run that role, I think somebody that just naturally fits in the middle. And Joey, I think you naturally fit in the middle. You can stretch with me whenever I'm thinking 10,000 feet or 100,000 foot, um, but you're not afraid to dig in and get into the weeds and like make sure that a rev rec process works. So that's the person to me you put in that role. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that Joanne. advisory senior role too, because I think that's going to be an important piece of, of our growth, because I'm sure I, I've found that over the last couple of months as we've identified that role, that's where the bulk of the training that I've been doing with the team has has been taking place is, to your point, how do you get that advisory senior who technically very good accountant, probably hasn't spent a ton of time thinking about the strategy piece? How do you get them into that cadence so they can start thinking like a CFO? Because ultimately, yeah. I think that's going to be where all our future CFOs are going to come from if we're doing it right. We hire at the advisory senior level and say, look, I'm creating this pipeline of CFOs. I like to use the Texas Tech quarterback room as an example for that. Here's the sports analogy, Adam. Here we go. I yeah. want four quarterbacks on my team, a freshman, a sophomore, a junior, and a senior who have spent time in the system. And when it's their time, they know the playbook. They know the rules. They know how to do it. They know all the reads. At that point, it's just getting them out there and executing. And that's where that advisory senior role is for me, is getting A, used to the system, but also how to think in such a manner that they can do it when, when, when it's their time, when they've had enough, again, time in the room. Since we're talking onboarding, mm -hmm. one of the challenges that I think we have that I'd love to hear how you're coaching people in this, Joey, one of the challenges is you can take a client and say their accounting books are a complete mess mm -hmm. and there's a ton of cleanup. Mm -hmm. It makes some things difficult. You, we can find ours, and I've been in this position where I feel like three months into onboarding, our team is killing it from a cleanup perspective. Mm -hmm. The client feels like it's taking longer than Adam told him it would take, and he's not heard me say anything about consulting. Mm -hmm. So you got these two different perspectives and I'd love to hear a little bit because you are in a position of, I don't have great data to tell you, but at the same time, you've got these business problems. How are you coaching? Maybe we talk about some of the key topics that come up during that onboarding time because that consulting is so important. For sure. For sure. So I think there's a couple of different things that you can do. And, and a lot of it just comes down to listening, right? The client's going to tell you within the first mm -hmm. 15 minutes what their pain points are. And yeah, more often than not, their pain points aren't about bookkeeping. Their pain points aren't about, mm -hmm. ooh, I'm not on a cruel basis when I should be. I'm on cash basis. No, it's things like right. I've got all of my clients, like 95% of my money comes from one client and it keeps me up at night. Or I don't feel like I've got enough cash cushion to be able to handle things. We're, we're working, we're onboarding mm -hmm. a client now where they have a massive, massive cash outlay at the beginning of a project and a six, seven, eight month time window between when the project starts and when they ultimately collect on all the contracts. And we know it's going to be a profitable endeavor. We do project costing. We know all of the stuff. It's just a timing issue. So the consulting here while we're cleaning up the books can be something along the lines of like, okay, let me start with addressing your immediate issue, which is you need some cash and you need some liquidity. Right. So how do we help you get this liquidity? And sometimes that can involve some cleanup. And if that's the case, we tell them. But other times too, it can be, hey, we just need to restructure some things. Maybe you need to start charging 65% upfront from your clients instead of 50 to give yourself a little bit more runway because the math and the numbers tell us that you're not gonna be able to, to, to sustain a 50% deposit on that. So I think the key in, in that moment is just identifying those two to three to four things that maybe 
aren't even related to the bookkeeping at all. It's what Adam said. It's a process issue. It's a business structure issue. And spend your time solving those problems versus, you know, sitting there saying, oh, I can't really give you anything because I, I don't I don't have the data, which a lot of times is is true. That is a big hang up, but it doesn't have to be something that destroys your relationship with the client as a consultant. Yeah. And in some of those pipe, I've had good success with clients in a meeting to say, let's talk about a couple things, but one can be, here's where we are. We still need some information from you. We're doing the cleanup. Here's what we're hearing back. I also want to have the conversation because you talked about the cash crunch. Let's talk con customer concentration. Tell mm -hmm. me more about the 90% and things. And often the advice that I'll give people when they're in that case is, hey, if that same customer comes and wants to give you more business, don't turn it down. Mm -hmm. it, but all of your sales and marketing efforts should be on getting new customers to where you're building up the other parts so they're, you're not so dependent on that customer is one of the pieces. And then you can talk about where are you focusing on your time? And if this 90% customer is the time suck that's keeping them from everything else, that's where you're saying, okay, then you're making a mistake because you've got to be out cultivating other kind of business mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. around that. Yeah. But I think that can be, I can have a strategy conversation and more operational. Yeah. I, I think that, um, a recent mistake that we made and we're trying to correct. I think that goes into this conversation. The way we used to sell um, onboarding to people is we're going to double the fee, but we're going to double the resources. Check. One team is going to go backwards. One team's going to go forward. So we're going to just divide and conquer. Somebody's going to do housekeeping, clean up, get everything stood up. The other one's going to focus on strategy and do everything right out of the gate. Day one, we're going to divide. Um, now, to your point, Tom, there are some strategic conversations that you should be having and could have without seeing the data. But I would say as data-driven people, a yeah. lot of our advice we try to be precise with. Mm -hmm. And so we're not just kind of like speaking off the, yeah. you know, off our hip. And so we do want to digest a little bit of that before we prescribe the solution. So rather yeah. than um, when we have the conversation with the client and say, hey, we're going to just go in two different directions and you're going to feel both right away. You know, mm -hmm. that's why we're doubling your fee. What we've started to say is that the first half of onboarding the entire team is going to be focused on architecture, data cleanup, hmm. documenting process, understanding everything about you. That'll set us up for the second half of onboarding, which is going to be diving into a lot of those consulting conversations, standing up a hmm. dynamic forecast and doing those kind of things. So the importance there is, is that it doesn't put you, the CFO, Tom, in the line of fire. You're like, damn it, I wish you would have done this two years ago whenever sure. I was onboarding a bunch of clients, but <laughs> yeah. um, it doesn't put you quite in the line of fire right out of the gate. And yes. what it also does is it, or what I should say it does not do is it doesn't put you and the onboarding CFO in opposing corners right out of the gate. Uh, like yeah. I'm going back doing this and you're going that way. It's like, nope, same team, same focus on mm -hmm. this. So you can collaborate and then you can move into stage two of the onboarding process. And then that way also, because we've put that emphasis on there, we've also kind of said, and, you know, if we knock out the walls and see the plumbing's not really what we thought it was, it might extend that first part of the onboarding a little bit longer, but we'll let you know that right at the very beginning. So I would say if you look at, listen to earlier podcasts or things that we say about the onboarding process, this is something that we've probably learned the hard way again, mm -hmm. as we continue to evolve in something that we've kind of changed 
just, I guess, the the messaging to the client. I think it's a, yeah. a great point to to bring up there, Adam, because one of the things that we've been as I've been kind of explaining to clients what the, the new onboarding process is, which it's new to us, all the whole onboarding process is new to the client. But as I'm explaining what we know as our new process, the, the way I've been kind of thinking about it is, is you could line up 15 digital agencies, one right next to each other, and you're going to get 15 different sets of problems. They're all different companies. <laughs> so if they're all different companies, shouldn't they all have different onboardings? Why are we trying to fit every client into one onboarding process. It just doesn't make sense. And I was, yeah. I was in the meeting with Jamie and, and Scott Hoffman on the Anders accounting team. Um, when he asked, Scott Hoffman asked the great question, which is like, how are you promising timing on a client before you've even looked into their books? And I remember Jamie yeah. just kind of looked at it like, that's a really good question. I don't know. And that was kind of the impetus for us, like thinking about how we were going to change the onboarding process. I think it's been a great change. The feedback, both from the clients and from the CFOs working on the onboarding has been overwhelmingly positive that we're able to create this, what we call the tailored onboarding plan that says we've, we've looked at this, here are the 15 or five things that we see need to be fixed. We think it's going to take us this amount of time to do it. While that's going on, Tom, you're going to be doing your consulting and we're going to meet at the end here in, in 10 weeks. And this is where we're going to be. Right. And it just sets the yeah. expectation. It keeps the expectation from being, you know, to a point where if, if we promise a client eight weeks and we can find out later it's 10, we're, you know, we're, we're the enemy. If we find out, if we tell them 12 and it's 10, we're the hero. It's still 10 weeks, but it's just level setting that expectation. Right. Yeah. I, I, the only thing that I would probably, uh, especially as accountants, push back on a little bit, and maybe it's because I'm more on the sales side a little bit, um, and probably a little more ego-driven in some regards to this, but I would also say that, yes, setting expectations is important. Yes, telling a client, you know, we've your stuff's a mess, like just being up front and saying mm -hmm. it's going to take us a couple more weeks. That's cool. Mm -hmm. Um, but being so like guarded, like most traditional firms are, you know, that it's just like, mm, can't promise you anything. Mm, can't say anything. It's like, no, yeah. the difference between me and you CPA firm is that I do this and I do this all the time. And yeah, mm -hmm. I can do this in eight weeks. You've got, you've got yeah. to have the carrot. Special circumstance. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, that's what, I mean, it should be an expectation. I mean, swagger, call it whatever you want, yeah. but I'm just saying like what, what frustrates me oftentimes in any professional service business, like, and I know I've had some conversations with internal team members and they go, well, Adam, that's why you wouldn't be my customer. And I go, that's right. And that's why you would never be my vendor. And the way I look at this is it's kind of like whenever you go into a doctor's office and they just want to kind of preach to you and tell you, well, yeah. you don't need to know that kid because I'm the smartest guy in the room. Mm, probably not. I know me better than you know than than you know me, and I know this isn't right. Um, that's the kind of approach that I take, and I expect whenever I deliver service to a customer, I want somebody that's going to listen, somebody that's going to pay attention, somebody that's going to talk to me with some level of urgency, and get things done. And I think what has been always important for me, and especially as we kind of merge in with the Anders, is just making sure that that same care and urgency on the front end of just being okay with putting yourself on the line and saying, 
we're going to figure this out and we're going to figure this out fast because we know we got to get to this other part. That's an important part of building trust with the relationship. And frankly, if you've done it 150 times, I get it. Every situation's a little bit different. You should feel okay saying, yeah, it's going to take about eight weeks, which is the reason why we only charge for eight weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Again, I, I want to just separate that from the conversation of, I get it. Messaging is important. And yes, if we look under the hood and it's a disaster, yes. Um, but we shouldn't just be so coy to say, you know, we'll get to it when we get to it and we'll figure yeah. it out when we get a chance, mm-hmm. you know, you're on our time. It's like, nope, that's a different customer perspective mm-hmm. that I have. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that, that boat doesn't float with me. And, uh, and you're right. I wouldn't be your customer if that's the way you think. So yeah. I don't know. I just, whenever I meet people in industry, a lot of times, sometimes people have that, that, that mentality. And it's like, you need me more than I need you. And I don't take that approach with any of our customers. It's yeah, a ca- relationship. Accountants are so careful too around. I don't want to promise. We've had people who can't believe we offer a price the first time we'll meet a customer, that discovery call in that hour, Adam, you're saying we think it takes six to eight weeks. To clarify, in case people don't know, when Adam talked about we charge double, if the weekly fee we charge someone is $1,000 during that eight-week time period, we're charging them 2000 If onboarding then takes 14 weeks, at the end of eight weeks, it goes from 2000 down to their price of 1000 and we continue on and say, okay, here's all the cleanup and things we're doing. But that client, hopefully from that says, oh, you know what you're doing. You know how much it's going to cost me. And you know what that is, if we get in to find out the services they're asking are dramatically different than the sales call, which doesn't happen very often, you can modify it during onboarding and say, look, here's what we're seeing. Do you want this additional level of service for many more invoices, more complicated process than you described or something different? And then we can modify it and continue on. Um, and we do case. have big lift stuff there that will multiply the onboarding fee. So it's not yeah. always just, so if, they, for instance, if they want us to do a cash to accrual conversion and go mm-hmm. back and restate prior year financials, okay, well, that's going to be, that's going to take a little extra time and I'm going to charge you for that. So, yeah. the, but those are, you know, we have three or four of those questions that we ask during the sales process. Do you want us to do this? Do you want us to do this? Or do you want us to do this? Cause that's different than all the other build and process stuff that we're talking about. And people are like, oh, Oh, okay. No, I don't need you to do that. Or no, I guess never mind. I don't need you to restate the last three years' financials. If it was included, yeah. sure. But if not, I'm good with moving forward with it. It's like, okay, cool. So are we. So yeah. So I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I don't want to say that it's a, you know, a free for all and we're over promising or any of those things. I'm just saying from a, I just try to put myself in the shoes of a from a customer. And don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. I'm probably a tough customer. Um, and you don't want to like bend the knee on everything. We're pretty rigid in our methodologies, um, but we're also pretty confident in our abilities. And sometimes maybe to our, you know, maybe to our own detriment to some degree, but um, I'm okay with taking that risk uh, if it shows the client that, you know, not only do we know what we're doing, but we're invested into the relationship and we'll figure it out. And and because uh, the most painful experience in the world is onboarding and just it taking forever. Mm-hmm. Um, from my perspective, I've had a couple bad, bad experiences. Sure. So, so Joey, as we wrap up, it, I'm curious. Do you feel like there's one or a couple things if you walk out of an onboarding that's finishing mm-hmm. and say we freaking nailed it? What would be the one or two things that you might tell Adam if he's like, hey, why did you think that was the best one we ever did? What do you think would be the couple? things that you said make that so great? I think the number one thing is just connection between the CFO and the client. Like I think that rapport Mm. is the most important thing because if you can come out of an onboarding 
and you're like, man, this client just trusts me. Like they're, they're, they're listening to what we're saying. We have a great relationship. I can be their coach. I can be their cheerleader, but I can also push back in places when I need to push back and have the difficult conversation with them. I think that's the most important thing is building that relationship because, you know, your forecast is going to change. We can come out of a, out of something and have the best forecast built in the history of the world and something could happen tomorrow and that's going to change. So we know there's going to be change there, but if you've got a wonderful relationship and you've cultivated the relationship and the trust, that's going to be the permanent piece that makes you sticky as a CFO. Outside of, outside of that, I would say though, having good understanding of what your deliverables are and your, 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 Mm -hmm. you know, your promise to your customers, which, you know, I think Adam is, is very, he's very direct in this is what we do here is the promise we have these deliverables and we are going to hit them every time which is what we need as a as you know the the doers on the project we need that direction from management on these are the expectations these are what we want to have happening so we cannot come out of onboarding with those deliverables and they need to be you know, at a certain level or quality where, where I think we could sit there and say, look, this is a foundation that you can build on. But if you've got the building blocks and you've got a great relationship, that's going to be a client that's going to be around for a long time. And that's what we want. We want to build long-term relationships. Yeah. Adam, any different view, what you'd want to hear when someone says it was a freaking killer or a particular thing you would want to hear different than what Joe described? Nope. I think permission to play is we got all the deliverables and we've set the the team up for future success. But I think the, um, I think that's a great point. I think the relationship is the, and trust is what you're trying to establish at the beginning. So I think that's, uh, that's solid. Yeah, I think you're right. I think from a deliverable standpoint, maybe another thing I think of is if the forecast is good enough that the client relies on it to the point where Mm -hmm. they're like, Hey, can you show me in the forecast? What would happen if, and they believe the forecast well enough that if we make that change, they look and go, Oh, that's helpful. That helps me make a decision then you're feeling like, okay, I, I've got a tool that's helping you to look forward to do that. And I think that can be really valuable mm-hmm. thing that we have. Yeah. You have, you haven't experienced this yet, Tom, cause you haven't come out of a, you're, you're in your first onboarding with me as a CFO, but at the end of it, yep. we have four questions that I, I asked the client directly and, and okay. a last one. And one of those is, do you feel like you have a forecast that you can rely on? And can you ask your CFO questions before you go out and do something? Cause I think the worst thing that would happen for me as a CFO is I've got what I think is a great relationship with the client. And I find out, oh yeah, I went and hired this sales and marketing person. I didn't even talk to you about it. Because then you're like, well, <laughs> Can you what's going on here, guys? <laughs> that never <laughs> happens. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, to your point, that's, that's cool. That's where, you know, if, if those, you know, I think we've got four questions that we ask at the end that are, that are along the same yeah. lines, like where your expectations met, so on and so forth. But yeah. the, to your point, if, if that's something that they can rely on, and they're going to go to you for those questions before they do them. That's 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 the secret sauce that's going to separate, you know, someone who's who's a true advisor from someone who's just looking at the books and, and doing some numbers. Yeah, that's great. Cool. Well, I'm excited that you're in this role. I know we've we've seen lots of changes recently in our onboarding piece, and I think it's going to help new new employees coming on going through that. They learn faster, mm-hmm. and the clients get to experience a better level of service because of that. Um, and I don't think it has to be, you've got to have these full-time dedicated people from the beginning. And we talked about that some, as you scale, this is scalable. It's not just, oh, this is only for big firms who do this all the time that mm-hmm. we've grown into, into doing this. Yeah. And you can't have Joey. He's ours. So <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Find your own Joey. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Thank you guys.
Everyone, hope you guys all have a great day. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate it. Enjoy this podcast? Visit our website at summitcpa.net to get more tips and strategies for achieving modern CPA firm success. We're here to be a resource in this ever-changing industry.